0: Okay, I'm going to wrap up today our series on the tribulation, okay, the Harpazo, and today I'm going to give you a message, evidence for a pre-tribulation rapture, okay, this will be part five, and I want you all to stand, stand with me for the reading of the word from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. Again, the, the great Harpazo passage, an entire generation at some time in the future, will leave this earth never having died and be caught up with the Lord in the clouds and be with the Lord forever. It's the word of our Lord, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I pray this morning, Lord God, that the comfort of the Lord, you are the comforter who comforts our hearts. I pray that your comfort will be upon us all today, Lord God, as we look deeply into your word. Be glorified here, Jesus. We sit at your feet, we look into your eyes, Lord God, we open our ears to your voice. Teach us, Lord God, through your spirit. For in Jesus' name we pray this, amen. Amen. So, there are three, three really major views when it comes to the rapture. And I want to say this. A dear sister here in our church came to me the first time I started preaching, the first message at the beginning of January on the rapture, and she said to me, it's a very controversial, um, you know, doctrine or issue. And, and to a sense, it, it is. What I've covered with you previously is really not something that's controversial, but I'll just say this. Where it becomes controversial, it's not that there's going to be a rapture. The question is, when will it happen? That's the big thing. And again, there, there are really three major views. The first, the post-tribulation rapture is that Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation. Which means that the church goes through the wrath of God. The church goes through the bowl judgments and the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments, the revelation of the Antichrist, the persecution. Many of them martyred. A massive death during this time on earth, as I've shared with you last week. That is the post-tribulation rapture. When I first became a Christian... You know, I I was learning the word. I really didn't know the word completely or or as much as, you know, as I know now. I was a post-tribulation rapturist for a short time. Like, I don't know, maybe an hour. No, maybe a little longer. (laughs) The second second view is a mid-tribulation rapture. Mid-tribulation is that the rapture happens here in the middle of the tribulation, which means the church goes through part of the tribulation. It's going to experience the bowl judgments. Uh, it's going to experience martyrdom uh, again, massive death on Earth. Uh, there is going to be an experience with the mid-tribulation rapture. I want to say this: I went from being a post-tribulation rapture uh, believer to being a mid-tribulation rapture believer. So I'm moving now. It's kind of scary. I'm moving to the left, and because um, you know, I'm not, I'm not on the left. And then you have the pre-tribulation rapture. And uh, after much digging and studying of the scriptures, uh, I came to the belief that the rapture happens either before the tribulation or right at the beginning of the tribulation. There is, I think, and I believe, overwhelming evidence <clears throat> for this view. Overwhelming. And I want to I present uh, some of it you know, to you. So the first thing... Believers are promised to be kept from the hour of testing that is about to come on the whole earth. So in Revelation chapter 3 verse 10, it it says this, Because you have kept the word of my uh, perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world, the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, I want you to notice the whole world, because nothing, right? And again, the word testing, trial, uh, tribulation, there has never been one specific event that has affected the whole world. Okay? Just the the, the idea, you know, a, a, a tribulation. That has affected the whole World War One, World War II, the the Black Plague. They were essentially somewhat isolated, even though we call them World wars. And again, it's an hour of testing, and you, people read that and say, "Well, it's an hour. It's only a you know sixty-minute hour." No, it speaks about the word is the word is is horror. It speaks about a season, a period of time, right? To God, a thousand years is like a day, and a, you know, day is like a thousand years. So. The picture here again is there will come this great tribulation or great trial that is going to affect the whole world. And God makes a promise to his church in book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 10, I will keep you from that hour, okay, from that time. Number two, Christians are promised not to face God's wrath ever on earth or in eternity. Because Christ bore it on the cross once and for all on their behalf. Jesus took your wrath. Jesus took your hell on the cross. If you're a believer, you will never suffer hell. You will never suffer wrath because Jesus took it upon himself on the cross. In 1 Thessalonians 5.9, for God has not destined us for wrath. Who is the us? He's talking to the church. God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, There is a theory called the pre-wrath theory. I I studied the pre-wrath theory. Pre-wrath theory, um, kind of a mid-tribulation theory, is that the rapture happens in the middle of the tribulation. And the argument is, is that the wrath of God only occurs from the middle of the tribulation to the end and not at the beginning, to the middle. That's the pre-wrath theory. And the major verse that they use is from Revelation chapter 11, 15 through 18. i will just going just to focus on the red. Then the seventh angel sounded. What did he sound? The seventh trumpet. Okay, and then you'll notice in verse 18 the nations were angry and your wrath has come. So that is the argument. This is when the wrath of God occurs during the tribulation. That's a pretty sound argument, right? Problem is, if you go back to Revelation chapter 6, verse 12 through 17, the opening of the sixth seal, and if you look down at verse 16, unbelievers, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb. For the wrath, right, for the great day of his wrath has come, and it was able to stand. That's at the beginning of the tribulation, early at the beginning of the tribulation, that the wrath has come. So the, to argue that the wrath occurs in the middle, I mean, right, same word, the same word, the word is orge. Same word that's used in Revelation chapter 12. The wrath is there really towards the beginning of the tribulation as well as in the middle And Let me give you one more, Revelation 16:1. at the end. So and then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The entire tribulation is the wrath of God. That's my point. It's, it's not it, beginning at the middle, right? It's not only at the end. It's, it's, it's throughout. The it's tribulation is the wrath of God being poured out. Okay, number three. Christ appearing is a blessed hope for believers. In Titus chapter 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Right? Christ Jesus' return is something that believers have looked forward to for 2,000 years, right? In First Thessalonians chapter 4, 18, it says we are to comfort each other, right? Comfort each other with those words. Why? Because we're going to meet Jesus face to face. If you're a true believer, don't you long to meet Jesus? <laughs> that's a, that's, again, that's a characteristic of a true believer. There's a longing to. I want to see him. I've believed in him all these years without seeing him, right? I love him without ever seeing him, and I long to see him. And again, that's a characteristic of a person who has truly been born again. You know who's doing that in you? Who's creating that that longing? Love the Spirit. He's stirring. He's stirring you but it is a blessed hope of seeing Jesus. It's a blessed hope of glorification, right? We're going to be glorified. Our bodies, we're not going to have these bodies that are in a state of deterioration. And for those of you who are before 25, that's good because you're producing more cells. But after 25, I just want to tell you, you're producing less and less and less cells. (laughs) So enjoy the ride to 25 because from 25 on, let me tell you, you got to work hard to maintain, right? We're going to be glorified. We're never going to die. That generation that's going to be raptured will not see death. And look, look. as much, as much, I've done a lot of funerals. I've been in a lot of hospitals when people die. I've been in their homes when they're dying on their bed. And look, some, some of the most wonderful, strong believers, you know, I always look at it as, God put them under my care here on earth. And when they die, I'm just passing them off to the Lord. I'm handing them to the angels who are going to escort them. That's what the scripture says. The angels will escort us right into the presence of Jesus in heaven. And that's something really glorious. Precious is the death of believers in the sight of the Lord. What's Psalm 116? 41? Something. Don't quote me on that. somewhere there. But no matter how, Wonderful it is, that person going home. There's always pain. People who, who, who love that person, a, a father, a mother, a sister, a brother, a child. That separation. We know that they're with the Lord. But there's still that pain and that grief. Well, the, again, the blessed hope that an entire generation right, will never experience that death. And the blessed hope is that they're gonna escape the tribulation, which is again a, a a hell on earth. It's judgment, it's wrath, it's um, you know, it's just it's terror, it's horror. I just want you to to look at this. If you know, you take the post-tribulation or the mid-tribulation view, you're driving down the road, and there's a tornado in front of you. You gotta get through the tornado to get to the other side, because on the other side. There is a sandy beach and it's 80 degrees and they've got a fresh pina colada waiting for you, no alcohol, fresh pina colada, the pineapple juice and the coconut juice. But you got to go through the tornado to get to the beach. Good chance that you're going to die. Going through the tornado. Good good chance you're going to be seriously hurt going through the tornado. Good chance you're going to be maimed going through the tornado. But if you get through the tornado, you're going to get to the beach. You got hopium? <laughs> you got any hopium with that? You know, are you, are you saying, oh, this is a blessed hope. Man, I just got to go through the tornado to get right. Are you Are you feeling blessed? Are you comforting one another with those words? Do you get my point? To the true believer, it's a blessed hope. But if you're thinking you're going through the tribulation, and as a true believer, let me tell you, you don't have a whole lot of hope. You're not looking forward to it. Number four. The bride of Christ, which is the believing church of Jesus, is depicted at the marriage supper of the Lamb before Christ uh, makes his descent to earth at his second coming. In other The church is with the Lord at the marriage supper of the Lamb before the Lord returns, which the only explanation is the rapture happens before his return. So look at Revelation 19.7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Who is the Lamb? Who is the bride? The church, clearly. Right, clearly, you know, revealed over and over again in Scripture. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen and bright and clean. Please notice that she's clothed with bright, bright and clean fine linen. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So here is the church in heaven celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's Revelation 19. The end of Revelation 19 is the Lord's glorious appearing. His second coming. And it says here, this is Revelation 19, 11 through 16, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in his righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes, by the way, take notice of that. He comes to make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he made... Uh, he had a name written that no one except uh, himself knew. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Glorious. And his armies in heaven, armies in heaven, notice what they're clothed. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Who is that? It, it just it, Context, right? Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. They're clothed in right white linen. Right here, they're, re- they're returning with him, clothed in white linen. It's the church. We are going to be returning, right? We are going to be returning with the Lord at the end of the tribulation. Can you see, can you see yourself there? Can... <laughs> One time I took the picture and I put my head in there. I superimposed <laughs> it. And again, as L.A. Marzili says, you get a horse. You get a horse. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the church again is raptured before this happens, is in heaven celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb and returns with the Lord at his glorious appearing. Okay? Okay. Number five: The work of the Holy Spirit through the church holds back the tribulation work of Satan until the church is taken out of the way. So I shared this with you last week, Second Thessalonians chapter two verse seven. Uh, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what, right? What is restraining? What is restraining Satan and the Antichrist, right, from coming into the world? The what is us, the what is the church, the what is the true church, the what is the faithful church, the what is the the praying church. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is at work, and only he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who he? The Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit inhabits the church. He inhabits us. When the church is raptured, the Holy Spirit goes with the church. Now, does that mean that the Holy Spirit's not here during the trip? No, He's here, but He's not working through the church any longer. He will be working through the 144,000. He'll be working through the two witnesses. He'll be working through angels. But it is the church that restrains evil. I'm you. to... The world is really becoming, I think, very rapidly more and more evil each day. You see that, right? I mean, it, whether whether it's globally, um, it could be what's going on in the Middle East, it's what's going on in Russia, what's going on in China, what's going on in your own backyard. I mean, you just see you see evil everywhere, in in the political realm, evil in the media, evil in the educational institutions, evil in the church, evil. A, a turning away from Jesus, apostasy, people rejecting, rejecting the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see you see evil everywhere. It's a time where, as the Word of God says, they call evil good and good evil, right? You stand there and you stand for what's good, you're called evil. Right? You stand against abortion, you're evil. You stand against the mutilation of children, the mutilation of their genitals, the mutilation of them, right, through some type of biochemistry you're called evil for that right you you take a stand against these things and you're you're an evil person so we we are we are right now descending into more and more evil i believe that the praying church i'm talking about the praying church because only the average christian guess how much how long and this is these are supposedly true christians the average Christian prays one minute a day. I don't think that's restraining anything. And the average pastor, we're much more spiritual than the rest of you, right? I just want you to understand it. there are a whole lot more people sitting in this church right now who are closer to Jesus than I am. I am very certain of that. I wouldn't even walk around the pastor who stands there and makes himself look like he's some type of like spiritual giant. He's a fool. Fool. And there's a lot of them. What you have to do is turn on the TV and you'll see fool after fool. They strut around that platform like they, you know, like I mean they think they're Jesus. There are a whole lot more people in this church right now sitting here who are more like Jesus, who are more filled with the Spirit, and who are following Jesus closer than I am. I'm trying. I'm working at it. I'm working to progress. The average pastor in America prays three minutes a day. I don't. But the average pastor prays three minutes. I'm not talking about those folks. I'm talking about people, truly praying people. They are praying on their own before God. They're praying with the body of Christ. They're praying in prayer meetings. They're praying in, you know, Bible groups. They're they're people who are praying. I believe right now, as bad as things are. They're holding back a greater evil from coming on this world. They're holding back right now. I believe, I believe. I look at America, and Billy Graham said it best. He said that if God doesn't wipe out America, he needs to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I think this country right now, I mean, it's being judged. We're under judgment as a nation. Don't, don't, don't fool yourself. You say, "Well, well, the nukes haven't hit us yet. We're under judgment. As a nation, we have turned away from God. This nation has greater privilege; has the United States had right in, in the birth that we had of our founders? Now, I'm, I'm not talking about the founders and the signers of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. I'm talking about the Pilgrims and the Puritans who came here and founded this land and founded it right for the glory of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, we've totally abandoned our roots. We are, I mean, secular. Right, separated from God. And even people in the church, right? You know, they have, they have right, it says, what is it in 1 Timothy 4.1, they kind of have this image of godliness, but they're just totally far away from God. So I, 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 I say this, I believe right now the true church, the true praying church, the true faithful church, wherever they may be, and those remnants that you'll find, and you're going to find them in all different groups, some more, some less, They're right now restraining evil and more evil from coming on this world. Coming on this country, coming to your state, coming to our neighborhood. When the church is taken out of the way, the Antichrist immediately steps, right, before the world. So, again, that is strong evidence of a a pre-tribulation rapture. Look at number six. No man knows the hour of Christ's return, even though his second coming is easily understood to be seven years after the beginning of the tribulation and three and a half years after the abomination desolation. Now, if you understand the, the actual right scenario. So Matthew chapter 24, 36, Jesus said, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. You go back to, to Daniel chapter 9, right? Daniel's four hundred and ninety years, seventy-seven weeks. Just want you to know, this is the last week. This is the last seven-year period in Daniel chapter nine twenty-seven. If if you have never studied Daniel chapter nine, you need to go into our archives, go to Living Word Alive, pull up Daniel chapter nine. You'll get some great messages. Okay, on uh, on this, I think it's the most incredible prophecy in Scripture. So Daniel nine twenty-seven. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Who he? Yeah, it, it's, it's the Antichrist. He makes a covenant, a treaty, a seven-year treaty with Israel, a peace treaty with Israel. Right now, the, the entire Middle East, let me tell you, right now the entire world is against the Jewish people. You see that? On college campuses, in our cities. I mean, they're just attacking a Jew walking down the street who has nothing to do with Israel. But he will bring a treaty between Israel and the Jewish people and their enemies. All those enemies, right, surrounding Israel right now. we got 270 militant Muslims who would like nothing more than to drive the Jews right into the uh, Mediterranean Sea and genocide them all. And by the way, if you're on that team, I would just say this to you. I think you're going to hell. If you're on that team, I believe you're going to hell. Well, pastor I, I don't think you could possibly have the Holy Spirit and be on that team. They are evil. What you see, what you saw happen in Israel, right, the attack in Israel, that's just those people are demonic. Those people are evil. Hamas is evil. Hezbollah is evil. Iran is evil. And those that are protesting all of this over this country, man, let me tell you something. they are evil, evil people. And it is a clear picture of good against evil. He will make a covenant and he'll bring peace. Seven-year peace treaty. You know, what? it's called a peace treaty of death. It's called a peace treaty of deception by Jeremiah. But in the middle of the week, three and a half years, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consumption which is determined is poured out on the desolate. What does he do? He makes a peace treaty. Three and a half years later, right? You have this peace treaty. It's on CNN. It's on Fox. It's on TikTok. Right? It's on YouTube. Peace treaty. Finally, there's peace with Israel. And the world and Israel and their neighbors. Peace. And this wonderful, charismatic, handsome man has created the peace. In the middle of that seven year period, he goes into the temple and he declares himself to be God. And he builds an idol there and he asks the world to worship him. That issues in what is called the later part of the tribulation, the Great Tribulation. Look what Daniel, Daniel says, right? So listen, if, if you go from when that treaty is made, and you count seven years, Hebrew years, three hundred and sixty days, you will know exactly when the Lord's coming back. Daniel chapter twelve verse eleven, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. That's three and a half years plus 30 days. We try to, I've shared on this, on what I believe that means. But essentially, 1,290 days, the Lord returns from the abomination of desolation. Some of you might want to write this down. Again, I said this last week. If you're unsure about your salvation, if you're unsure, about Jesus Christ in your life, write this down because you can count those days, 1,290 days, and know when the Lord's going to come back from the abomination desolation. That's that's 30,960 hours. He said, nobody will know the day or the hour. I just gave you the day and the hour of His glory. All right, uh, that's of His glorious return, but that's not the rapture. That's not the harpazo. From the time the Antichrist sets up that image, you have 1,290 days, 30,960 hours. Not the same things. Not the same thing. The rapture happens before. Okay, number seven. Am I making my point? The focal point of the final seven years of Daniel's 70 weeks is Israel, not the church. The final seven years as it was with the first 483 years, is all about Israel. The first 483 years ended when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. What happened soon later, Pentecost and the church age began. We are in the church age right now. When the church is taken out of the way, then the seven-year period begins. Look at Daniel again, 9.24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for whose people? For your people. Rene, who were Daniel's people? You. Jewish people, right? The Jewish people. Right? It's decreed for the Jewish people and for your holy city, right? Israel, Jerusalem. A seven year period. Let me just show you. Give you a a, a quick peek here. Um, Daniel's Daniel's first 69 weeks ends, right, with Jesus entering Jerusalem. He's crucified a few days later. And then, right, you have Pentecost and the church age. We have been in the church age for 2,000 years. Age of grace, the gospel has come to the Gentiles, right? Most of us are Gentiles in this room. I was once praying many years ago with, I, I was filling in for a Sunday school class, and the little boy was reading the scripture, and he had read it that, um, that God wanted to save the genitals, no, the Gentiles, I have a collection of these things that the kids said. Uh. So the rapture happens at the end of the church age, and then you have Daniel's seventieth week tribulation. At the end of the seven years, you have the second coming. Then it goes into the millennial kingdom, and then right, it goes into eternity. Revelation chapter twenty and twenty-one. But that is uh, the picture. The 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 rapture right, happens, and then this period, this last seven, is for Israel. Remember the 144,000 Jews? The two witnesses preaching. I believe there will be Jewish witnesses preaching in Jerusalem, the preaching of the gospel going out, and many Jewish people are going to be saved during this time. Many Jewish people are going to be saved. It's going to be be a great Jewish revival on earth. Number eight. The church is seen in Revelations 1 through 5, and... In 19, it's missing from Revelation 6 through 18. 6 through 18 is the tribulation. There's no mention of the church, and the church in those in those early chapters, like chapter one through uh, chapter three, where the church of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and then Laodicea. The church is mentioned over and over and over again, including in chapter one. And then suddenly the church is out of the picture. Where did it go? Where's the church? Where where did the church go? By the way, if, if you look here at that chart, I believe, as a student of church history, I believe the seven churches are seven periods of church history. What's a little bit scary is the last church is the church of Laodicea. Here it's called the modern apostate church, but it's the church where Jesus says, "I want to spit you out of my mouth. You're neither hot, and you're neither cold. You're lukewarm." You have, you know, you say you have everything. I don't need anything. You don't need to pray. You don't need to be in church every week. You don't need to be in the Word. You don't need to be serving God. You don't need to be about Jesus' business. Okay, just come and sit. Or or sit at home and watch it while you're sitting on your couch. That's the Laodicean church. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to say I'm a pastor in Laodicea. I would have really preferred to be a pastor in Philadelphia. But I'm a pastor of Laodicea or Smyrna. And I've always believed Living Word is a little more of a Smyrna and a Philadelphia than it is of Laodicea. But there are Laodicean people who come in and out of here. There's no question about it. Revelation 1, 2, and 3. Church, 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 church. Revelation 4 verse 1. After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard like the sound of the trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things, after the church age. I believe John is the one who is being called up here, but I believe John is a representative. John is an apostle. John's leader of the church, and is speaking about the whole church being taken up to be with the Lord. Because again, the church is in heaven in chapter 4 and 5. And then it's not mentioned again through chapter 6 through 18 until chapter 19 in the wedding supper of the Lamb. Number 9. The rapture Je- and Jesus' glorious return are described as two different events. Let me just run you through this real quick. Phase 1. Okay, the Lord's second coming. Phase 1, you have the rapture. Phase 2, Christ's return to the earth, right? You look here. Christ appears in the air with the rapture. Christ returns to the earth, right, with the glorious appearing. Jesus returns in secret like a thief, right, the rapture. Jesus returns openly, the glorious appearing. The Messiah returns for his church, right, in the rapture. The Messiah returns with his church at the glorious appearing. The Lord uh, comes as a bridegroom, the rapture. The Lord comes as a king. Right? Glorious appearing, Revelation 19. Christ comes as a deliverer, right? In the glorious appearing, Christ comes as a warrior and a judge. Jesus comes with grace, the rapture. Jesus comes with grace and wrath, the glorious appearing. The Messiah delivers the church from wrath, okay, in the rapture. The Messiah delivers believers of the tribulation who endured wrath. Living believers receive immortal bodies as they are taken to heaven, the rapture. Living believers remain mortal on earth during the millennium to repopulate it. The world is left unjudged in the rapture. The world is judged okay, at the glorious appearing. The world continues to sin after the rapture. Righteousness is established after the glorious appearing. The rapture addresses only the saved. The glorious appearing addresses the saved and unsaved. The rapture can happen any moment. And again, the glorious appearing, many signs must first occur. And with the rapture, the devil continues his evil reign. And with the glorious appearing, the devil is cast into the abyss. I mean, if, if, if you read this, you're a student scripture, right? It's like, yes, 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 right? I mean, all right, number 10. Jesus gives a promise of escape, right? Thank goodness. So in in Luke chapter 21, 34, 36, this is the the Sermon on the Mount of Olives. Not the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount of Olives. It's the prophetic sermon, the uh, eschatological uh, sermon. It says, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the cares of life, and that day comes on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape. What is he talking about, escape? Because if you're going to go through the tribulation, you ain't escaping. (laughs) And he just covered, in the previous verses, he covers all of the things that are going to be happening. All these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. He gives us survival. A way of escape. Number 11. We've got a couple more here and we're done. The trumpets of 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians are not the same as in Revelation. Now, here's where the post-tribulationists come, and they get in my face, and they argue. Okay? It's the same trumpet! Okay? So, in Revelation 11, 15, then the seventh angel sounded. What did he sound? Who blew it? Well, an angel blew it. Now, we don't know if Michael blew it. An angel blew it and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever by the way once that trumpet is blown it's the seventh trumpet what does the seventh trumpet usher in seven bowl judgments those seven bowl judgments don't happen in an instant they're progressive it's over the course of, of time i believe this this happens again somewhere in the middle part of the tribulation the blowing of the seven trumpet, which then issues the bold judgments that go on through the last three and a half years of the tribulation. First Thessalonians 416. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Who blows the trumpet? It's not an angel. It's the trumpet of God. They use two different trumpets. Two different trumpets. And this is where, again, I get, I get the, 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 you know, the, um, the post-tribulation, is getting my face. And it's the same trumpet. It's not the same trumpet. I'll go through the, the Greek and see, they're two different trumpets. And then the dead in Christ will rise. This trumpet is announcing the Harpazo. It's announcing the resurrection and the Harpazo. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 51-52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We all shall uh, not sleep. We all shall not die. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet. In the twinkling of an eye. It's instantaneous. The harpazo, the rapture of the church. The trumpet in Revelation chapter 12 issues in the bowls which occur over a progression of time. One is instantaneous. The other one is progressive. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. Two different trumpets. Two different shofars. You know, I did a study here a couple of months ago on the shofar and you know the blowing of the shofar with Israel. And I think the people who take this post-tribulation view and base it upon the trumpets, I think they need to do a little study because you need to study the entire context of scripture, I think, to really come up with a true, you know, sound doctrine. And if you study the blowing of the shofar, it was used for two things. What are the two things? One is for war. It was a call to the people of Israel, hey gather because we're going to go fight our enemies. The second blowing of the shofar was for what? Celebration. Celebrate the Passover, celebrate the the, the Pentecost, celebrate the you know Feast of Weeks, celebrate the atonement. It was it was a call to celebration. The blowing of the trumpet in Revelation 12, is a call to war. It's a call to judgment. The blowing of the trumpet in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's a call to celebration. When that trumpet blows, folks, we go to a party. The greatest party that has ever been given. We're going to a celebration and we're going to the wedding supper of the Lamb. We're the bride. We're the bride. All right, last one, number 12. If the rapture occurs at the end of the tribulation, who populates the millennial kingdom? And this is the this is the fundamental question that I always ask post-tribulationists. If the rapture happens, right, at the end of the tribulation, the unbelievers they're killed. They're judged. They go to hell. The believers go to be with the Lord. Who's left to populate the millennial kingdom? Because if you go into chapter 20, right after the Lord comes back, it mentions it six times. I think I'm going to teach on it. I'm going to do one more message. I'm going to talk about the millennial kingdom before we just get back to word by word in the scriptures. But the millennial kingdom, it's heaven on earth. But it will be populated right at the beginning by those who have survived the tribulation who are believers. And they will go in to the millennial kingdom and they will have children and they will repopulate the earth after God does a major renovation with it but if the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation there ain't nobody left they're just if you talk to anybody anytime when they come to you with a, a post tribulation view just ask them who's going to populate the millennial kingdom and they look at you like and i've had i've had pastors look at me and they're just like huh I never thought about that. Well, I think you should think about it. I think you should think about it. Look at, look at what it tells us in Matthew chapter 13, 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore, and they sat down and they gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. This is at the end of the tribulation. The angels will, call forth, will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The unbelievers, the followers of the Antichrist, the people who received the mark of the beast, they are thrown into hell. The believers are the ones who go in and populate the millennial kingdom. Got it? Want me to give you another twelve? Where's Anne? Anne wants and and wants another twelve no, Those are my twelve. Those are my big ones. Wrestling, digging. Let me just share, I want to share one thing with you in closing and then we'll have the Lord's Supper. Matthew 25, 1-4 Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Right, the bridegroom's coming. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Be wise, don't be a fool. The fool's lamps were empty. The wise, their lamps were filled. They were filled with oil. What is it symbolic of? The Holy Spirit. Right throughout the scriptures. The Spirit is oil. He's the living oil. Be filled with the Spirit. What does it tell us in Ephesians chapter 518? Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. People say to me, well, how how can I know if I'm filled with the Spirit? To be filled with wine, okay, person's drunk with wine. Dante, how many times have you pulled people over with DWIs? I'll tell you this about alcohol. Most domestic situations, I would say 90% of the domestic situations that I've dealt with in the church through the years being called in, being called into a home, there's it's usually alcohol related. The person... Is drunk and people, you know. Look, I bounced. I bounced in bars for years. People, you know, they, they, they get drunk and they get beer muscles and they think that they're Superman and uh, you know, just stupid, stupid stuff that you know people do. To be drunk with wine is to be under the influence of wine. It says that it leads to debauchery. Debauchery speaks about sensual pleasure. Um, it really is. If you look at our country and this outside of alcohol, we are a people. We are obsessed with pleasure. Obsessed with entertainment, obsessed with alcohol, obsessed with drug, uh, uh, obsessed with pornography, obsessed with entertainment. You know, obsessed just with, 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 with sports. You know, just we, we are people just we're obsessed. I mean, and it's crazy because we we are being totally fed this stuff. We're entertaining ourselves to death, we're eating ourselves to death we're drinking ourselves to death, we're entertaining ourselves to death, and look at us while, while the empire is crumbling around us. You know, that was the plan of Lenin and Stalin and Marx and Brezhnev and Gorbachev, was the way to destroy America, just get them fixated on entertainment, get them fixated on pleasure, get them fixated on sports, just get them fixated on food, get them fixated on all these pleasures, And then we will slowly... By the way, China's doing it right now. It's doing it to our young through TikTok. (laughs) If your kid's on TikTok, get them off. That's debauchery, obsession. It's obsession with pleasure. And it says, be filled with the Spirit. Same thing. Just reverse it to be filled with the spirit is to be under the influence of the spirit. to be led by the spirit, to be guided by the spirit. you know it is to be in a place where you're living, right Your mind is fixed on the spirit instead of your mind being fixed on the flesh. right because we can we, we can sometimes bounce around there, right? if we're honest. People think, oh, Pastor Frank, you just walk in the spirit. I just walk in the spirit every day. I was driving down the road the other day, and I was in the spirit. I was just thinking about Lord areas that I want to please you in, things that I want to do for people, areas where I want to deny myself. I'm just, I'm just I'm just gliding. I'm gliding in the spirit. And I had the radio on. And all of a sudden, I was reminded of those punks who attacked the two policemen in New York City. I left the spirit. I'm telling you, came right into the flesh. And I immediately started thinking, what would I have done? If I was there, when I saw those punks beating those cops, what I would have done, and let me tell you something, you wouldn't want me to put that video up on the screen right now. I know this sudden I quote myself because it wasn't just it wasn't just like a righteousness. All of a sudden, let me tell you, I went into the darkness that's still in me. Deep darkness. We call it um berserker. There's a time to go berserk, but I went too berserk in my mind. To be filled with the Spirit is to live under the influence of the Spirit of God. It's not an instantaneous thing, it's a moment by moment thing. It's a yielding to God as we walk with Him every day. By the way, I did repent of that and said, I know, Jesus, that's not your heart. Keep your lamp filled because He's coming, folks. I believe he's coming real soon. And you don't want to be found empty and be left behind. You don't want to be left behind. Amen? Amen. Let me ask the musicians to come up. We're going to share communion. So Jesus, Jesus said, "He will not drink." He said at the Last Supper, "I will not drink of this cup again until I enter into my kingdom." So when we are with Jesus in the kingdom, we're going to be sharing the Lord's Supper with him. And then you know he said he said something he said something else he said, "Do this, proclaiming my death." Right, his body was pierced, his blood was shed. Do this proclaiming my death until I come back. Just think about that. What did he mean by that? Until I come back, right, we're going to be proclaiming his death. I think it, it might be that his life is going to be so complete and so full. We'll, we'll remember what he did for us. He's going to have the holes in his hands and his feet. But it's about life. So on that night the Lord Jesus He took the bread and He broke it He gave it to His disciples and He said to them take this all of you and eat this for this is my body He said do this in remembrance of me and in remembrance Lord of your body that human body that you inhabited the great and almighty God God of God the Son of God and the Son of Man incarnate who laid down his body on the cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We partake in remembrance, Lord, of what you did for us. And then the Lord took the cup He gave it to his disciples. He said to them, take this, all of you, and drink this, for this is my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. He said, do this in remembrance of me. For the Lord's blood was his life that he gave for us. As you drink of the cup, open up your heart and drink in more of the Lord's life. His life is filled with peace. His life is filled with joy. His life is filled with holiness. His life is filled with love. Drink in his life as you take of the cup.